0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This is your host, Dan Hansen. This particular episode is on George Lucas, A Life, written by Brian J. Jones. Uh, In a word, this book is amazing. Um, I got it just Thursday afternoon. By the time I rolled out of bed Tuesday morning, I had finished it. Uh... Brian J. Jones written a couple other books, one on Jim Henson, one on Dr. Seuss. Don't particularly care about either of those two people, but uh, let's just say I'll be watching Brian J. Jones' career with great interest. Uh, phenomenal book. Uh, let's, get to, uh, let's get to the beginning of George Lucas' life. So he always loved cars. He always loved racing. And so his dad got him a car. But his dad figured, well, I'll get him this shitty car so George can't you know, go too fast. But, of course, George souped it up so it could go really fast. So I thought that was cute because that's like Anakin Skywalker with the pod racing in Episode 1. Or it's like Han Solo with Million Falcon. You yeah, know, It may not look like much, kid, but it's got it where it counts. Uh, until one day Lucas actually got into a car accident and wrapped his car around a tree. There's actually a picture of it in the book. Uh, it's horrifying how fucking destroyed this car is. Um, and so they towed that car through downtown, down the main street that George Lucas liked to drag down. And, you know, his classmates and his teachers saw it, and everyone thought he was fucking dead. And when his teachers found out that he was actually alive in the hospital, they figured, well, he's going to be dead in three weeks anyway. So let's just, instead of failing him, because no one wants to fail a dead kid, let's let's give him D's, you know, so he can at least graduate uh, posthumously. Uh, but it turned out Lucas, of course, spoiler alert, uh, actually survived. It actually turned out it wasn't that bad because the seatbelt that he himself had installed came loose as the car was barrel rolling down the yard and actually flung him at the last second. So he was saved from uh, the brunt of the, uh, the accident. But it gave him a new lease on life that he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Every day was like an extra day to him. And uh, his father was kind of like your typical, you know, like, oh, I want my son to inherit the family business. And Lucas was like, no, dad, I want to go to school and become a photographer. And his dad was like, no son of mine is going to be a photographer. And so Lucas's friend was like, what about cinematography? And Lucas, you know, didn't really know what that was. He just knew it had to do with cameras. And thankfully, his dad really didn't know what that was either. He just figured cinematography sounded a lot better than photography. So, okay, he's going to pay for that. And it wasn't until Lucas showed up at his first cinematography class. He was like, oh, they're going to teach me how to make movies. And it was just like a fish to water. He loved it. And he was really, really good at it. So every time he'd get a student film project, he would just ignore all the rules. You know, the teachers would say no color or no music. And Lucas would just throw all that to the wind, make whatever the hell he wanted. And when they would screen it for the faculty and the students it would just blow people's mind uh, the one film in particular was a four-minute film entitled THX 1138 which uh, is basically like this dystopian future in the vein of Logan's Run or Brave New World and it really just blew everyone away and so uh, later Fran- or George Lucas became friends with Francis Ford Coppola Uh, a young director who would later have success with The Godfather and uh, Apocalypse Now, which he actually kind of co-opted from Lucas, and that was a point of friction for many years between the two of them. But in any case, uh, so Francis Ford Coppola had enough charisma and success to land a 10-picture deal for his new company, American Zoetrope, from some Hollywood studio. And uh, the first film they were going to make is a feature-length version of George Lucas's THX 1138. Okay, cool. Except in the contract, there was a call provision. So the studio could get their money back if they didn't like the movies American Zoetrope was making. Okay, so uh, they make THX 1138. And the studio is like, what the fuck? And if you've never seen THX 1138... Uh, the studio was right to have that response. There's a scene in there where the main character, I think that's Robert Duvall, is getting jerked off by a fleshlight that's on like this mechanical pulley system as he's watching 3D pornography. And it's again it's just like, what the fuck? And so uh, they they the studio edits it and Lucas is like, What the fuck, man? You don't even know what the movie's about. Like, what are you doing editing it? Movies are supposed to make money, man. You know, and And so, uh, and of course the movie didn't, the movie just fucking bombed, but it didn't just bomb. It caused that studio to pull their contract with American Zoetrope and pull their money back, effectively bankrupting Francis Ford Coppola and American Zoetrope. So Francis Ford Coppola goes to Lucas and he's like, he's like, well, you quit it with this artsy fartsy coffee house bullshit. Like, can't you just make a normal movie for normal people? In everyday experiences, that actually has an emotional uh, resonance with the American public. And Lucas is like, that's easy. Like, all you have to do is have a guy strangle a kitten and boom, emotional response from the audience. That's easy. You know, he wants to make these tone poems, as he calls them. I don't know what the fuck a tone poem, uh, a tone poem is, but he kept saying tone poem throughout the book. So anyway, so uh, he goes and he makes American graffiti. And... It's kind of the same thing where the studio really doesn't understand it, and so they cut parts of the movie out. And again, he's like, you don't even understand it. Like, what do you think? If you don't like it, what is cutting four minutes out of it going to do? Except the difference here is American Graffiti actually went on to be a huge hit. Okay. And so Lucas had some clout after that. And I should also mention, I believe it was during American Graffiti, that was around the time he met his first wife, uh, Marcia Lucas. Uh, She was an editor. Uh, And I should should mention this. So Lucas, he, he, he hated writing, the filming and the dealing with actors and the being on locations. He really just considered that to be the gathering of materials. He considered movies to really be made in the editing room. And that's where he met his wife, like I said. And he was quiet, so at first they would just kind of talk about editing or movies, but eventually they started dating, and eventually they were married. Okay, and so everyone's like, well, what are you going to do next with your newfound success? You're this hot, young director. What do you want to do? And he's like, oh, well, I couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, so I want to make this space movie called... From the Journal of the Wills, The Adventure of Luke Starkiller, The Star Wars. And everyone's like, why the fuck would you want to do that? His wife's like, can't you make movies like Francis Ford Coppola, your friend, with like The Godfather and Apocalypse Now? Or like Martin Scorsese with Taxi Driver, a movie that uh, his wife had edited? And so, but of course, you know, he's going to do Star Wars. So he spends the better part of the 70s going through the different uh, scripts of Star Wars, different rough drafts. And if you're a huge star wars fan i actually recommend going and reading some of those first uh, drafts um you can see a lot of ideas show up in later films like his first rough draft of star wars is essentially the phantom menace um, so anyway there's there's just some interesting stuff in there and so he knew it was going to be a tough sale to studios okay and he was right he was turned down by like every studio in town So he solicited the help of Ralph McQuarrie, this concept artist, to draw all this concept art of, you know, like the Death Star or X-Wings or Darth Vader. All this stuff that's in the American lexicon today, back in the 70s, was just in George Lucas's mind's eye. So Ralph McQuarrie was like this conduit. And so he goes to the Fox executives and he shows it to them and... They all hate it. None of them can understand it. Except this one executive, he pulls Lucas aside and he goes, George, I don't understand this whole the Star Wars thing. But I like you. I liked American Graffiti. I believe in you. I'm going to make sure you get the money. And so... Together, they were able to wrestle about 10 or $12 million from Fox, which even back in the 70s was not a lot. The original Star Wars was a low-budget movie. And so it had production issues from day one. Uh, You know, they filmed in Tunisia for all the Tatooine scenes. Reigns, for the first time in seven years. Uh, The guy that's supposed to do the costumes for uh, the cantina scene, the famous cantina scene. Gets sick, so he can't make the costumes they want r2d2 is always falling over Malfunctioning C3PO is always falling over Uh, Just complete disaster the special effects Um, It took them a year just to create the first special effects shot Because that's how long it took them to create the technology for the film So uh, it used to be that if you wanted to film a spaceship you you stop animation you know, stop motion animation but with star wars they use charlie munger's reversion technique so instead of having uh, the camera on a stand and just kind of like moving the little spaceship you know shot by shot they reverted it so you have the spaceship on a stand and the camera is actually tracking around it and that's how you got like the big sweeping action scenes and the barrel rolls and all that stuff. And um, I should also mention, if you don't know already, that Lucas, he cut together all this World War II footage of like World War II dogfights or B-52 bomber like gun turrets shooting down Japanese Zeros and stuff to give the special effects guys an idea of what kind of shots they're supposed to go for. But still, it it took a year just to get the first shot. The guy that did the special effects ended up winning an Academy Award uh, for it. Uh, but Lucas later fired him, as, as we'll get to. But in any case, um, okay, so the thing is filmed, you know, all the issues aside. They got they get their first cut back from the editor, and it's just the worst movie anyone's ever seen. So Lucas takes his wife and a couple of friends, and they they watch it twice. The first time just to watch it, second time to kind of kibitz over it, like Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's like, oh, this scene sucks, cut that, etc. And so they do another cut, and now they show it to all of Lucas's director's friends. So Francis Ford Coppola, De Palma, Steven Spielberg. And except for Spielberg, they all fucking hate it. Like, what is this? Uh, and so they cut it again with direction, you know, from you know, with the feedback from their friends there. And uh, now they show it to Fox executives. Three of them love it, which is progress. Three of them like it three of them hate it and the rest don't know what the fuck they just saw okay so some, some progress there so they cut it again and then they show it to fox sales teams and the fox you know, the guys are gonna like market and sell the film and the fox sales teams they can't believe what they're watching this is fucking amazing so that, okay that's a good sign and then they're finally going to show it to uh like a test audience all these college kids so before it starts Lucas turns to his wife, and he's like, ah, we're going to have to recut the whole fucking thing. And his wife is like, if at the end of the movie, when the Millennium Falcon shows up to save the day, if the audience cheers, that's how we know the movie works. Well, thankfully, they didn't have to wait that long for an applause. As soon as the movie started, and that Star Destroyer comes overhead, the whole audience is cheering. And by the time it gets to where uh, Harrison Ford's character Han Solo comes and saves the day... The place is just erupting, standing ovation all through the credits, and Lucas turns to his wife and goes, well, I guess we're not going to have to cut it after all. Uh, so, but Fox still hates this movie. Uh, they release it in 39 theaters. And so one day, Lucas and his wife are out in public, and they see this line eight or nine people wide just wrapped around movie theater. And they're like, oh, what movie just got released? You know, it's kind of like uh, The Beatles when they first landed in the U.S. And they're like, "Whoa, what's this big crowd for? The president? Uh, And, of course, the movie that everyone was going to see was Star Wars. And it was just repeatedly sold-out showings. You know, midnight showings, after-midnight showings, theaters, a thousand people uh, deep, and it would just sell out, sell out. the biggest movie of all time. Uh, The film reels were wearing out. Uh, Movie theaters had to buy new film reels from Fox to keep playing it. They figured that 80% of their ticket sales were repeat views. People just want to see it over and over and over again. Okay. So it's a big hit. Lucas makes a bunch of money. And this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, okay, I finally got the final cut, say, on Star Wars. I think I probably didn't mention that. But, you know, the studio wasn't going to meddle in the edit. He got that in the contract. But he also got in the contract the toys, merchandising, and sequel rights. So, for the sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, he's like, I'm going to fund it myself. Because he didn't like how Fox had the power of the purse, and he had to really compromise his vision by cutting a, filming on a shoestring budget. So he's like, no more, I'm going to film myself. So if The Empire Strikes Back bombs, Lucas is bankrupt. He loses everything. But if it's a hit, he's then going to be free from the Hollywood machine, and he can do what he wants. And uh, spoiler alert! One second, uh, pardon me. Spoiler alert: Empire Strikes Back is this huge runaway smash hit. Okay, except all is not well at Skywalker Ranch. So his wife is like, "You said we were going to have kids, uh, but you're too busy making these fucking Star Wars movies." You know, she had refused to help create the Empire Strikes Back. She's like, "I'm out." Okay. Irvin Kershner, the director of The Empire Strikes Back, was like, I'm not coming back for Revenge of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is usually called uh, Revenge of the Jedi. He's like, I'm not coming back for Revenge of the uh, Jedi. Uh, I don't want some, you know, when I'm a director, I don't want somebody hanging over my shoulder telling me what to do. So Irvin Kershner's out. Gary Kurtz, the producer of American Graffiti, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, as soon as he learns there's going to be a second Death Star and Return of the Jedi, he's like, I'm out. Um... The people who are left, like Harrison Ford, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter, they want Lucas to go in a grittier direction. They want Lucas to kill off Han Solo, have Luke Skywalker kind of walk off into the sunset to rebuild the, the Jedi, and leave Princess Leia all alone to rebuild the Galactic Republic. But Lucas is like, no, 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 we're trying to sell toys here. That's why we have Ewoks and everything. We're not trying to depress people. And so, the the picture I'm trying to paint is, throughout Lucas's career, he kept trying to consolidate more and more and more control. First on the final edit, then the power of the purse, and then eventually, he was just alienating anyone who would ever tell him no. Uh, And so, I want to skip ahead to the, the late 80s. And so by then star wars was an afterthought there hadn't been a new movie in six years toy sales were down uh bantam books calls up george lucas and they're like we want to make star wars books and lucas is like "Great! Right? you can make star wars books just uh don't kill off any of the main characters and don't try to go back in time don't do anything with the clone wars i, I might do prequels later okay so bantam books is like awesome they call up timothy zahn timothy zahn writes heir to the Empire." If you never read air to the empire and you're interested in star wars that'd be a pretty good place to start in any case huge hit new york times bestseller the two sequels new york times bestseller and from that lucas gets huh maybe there's actually interest in this star wars thing after all you know it had been you know 10 years since he had made one of these things um and so he gives uh lucas arts the gr- green light to start making star wars games again and he He'd always been asked, "Are there gonna be more Star Wars films? Are there gonna be more Star Wars films?" He's finally like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm working on them." So he starts writing the prequels. Uh, but before before that, just to get some more money, because he's gonna self finance the Phantom Menace, he releases the special editions. And the special editions, let's just say, Return of the Jedi was kind of a head nod to the direction Lucas was taking Star Wars. The special editions were an omen. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but let's just say a lot of your fans weren't entirely pleased with the corrections, that, or the corrections, the, the alterations that Lucas had made to his films. But any case, so he makes uh, The Phantom Menace, and it's just, you know, like the most hyped movie of all time. The merchandising is like, Pepsi made like a billion cans with Star Wars characters on them. Not even exaggerating. Um, and it's not a flop; it's a hit. You know, so Lucas didn't go bankrupt, but it was critically panned, and then later the fans started to reject it, and so Lucas actually just stopped going on the internet. He just said, which actually is something I can appreciate. Uh, just said, "Fuck it, I'm done." So he's even further distancing himself from anyone who's going to disagree with him. Uh, so he, you know, he does Attack of the Clones, he does Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith, okay, that one, you know, people uh, enjoyed that one uh, a lot more. Uh, But still, Lucas was kind of with this bad taste in his mouth, where it was like, you know, people would ask him, are you going to do Episode 7, 8, and 9? And he was just thinking, like, well, everyone fucking hates me for going back and doing the prequels. Like, why the hell would I go ahead and do uh, 7, 8, and 9? And before I get to 7, 8, and 9, I do want to talk about how... Lucas is really responsible for pushing film into the 21st century with the prequels Um, A lot of the things that were brand new with the prequels are now common day like Jar Jar Binks being an all CGI character yes, everyone hated Jar Jar Binks and One of the things they hated about him was that he was CG, but now like, you know, you don't think anything of a CGI character Uh, you know Thanos is CGI the Hulk is CGI it's just, a, it's just a thing now. Or filming on digital. Attack of the Clones was the first movie filmed on digital. Now, a lot of movies are filmed on digital. And your digital editing. So, you know, back in the day, you actually had to cut, uh, you know, film and, like, splice it together. And the lightsabers had to be drawn on frame by frame. The laser bolts had to be drawn on frame by frame. It's ridiculous. Uh, the digital film editing that was created by Lucas's company. Um. Anyway, so he's responsible for a lot of that. But uh, with with the Star Wars sequels, he's like, you know what? Everyone hates me. I don't want to. You know, what's the point of spending ten years of my life in these movies? Uh, yeah. And so he sells Disney to uh, Bob Iger. Sorry, he sells <laughs> he sells Star Wars to Disney, um, through Bob Iger. And so he thought, as part of his contract, that Disney had to use his treatments for seven, eight, and nine. Uh, He was wrong. Uh, He thought by installing Kathleen Kennedy, who had been Steven Spielberg's producer all those years, uh, he thought he'd have someone on the inside who would uh, execute his vision for Star Wars. Uh, He was wrong. Um, Disney really wanted to kind of go off in their own uh, direction, completely forsaking uh, Lucas's wishes. Um, But I do want to talk about The Mandalorian. So the Mandalorian fans of Star Wars fans have kind of latched onto the Mandalorian as like this new hope in Star Wars. Uh, and so let me talk about Dave Filoni. It's not in the book, but when else am I going to be able to talk about Dave Filoni? Okay, so Dave Filoni, this uber Star Wars nerd, he's the guy that makes Mandalorian. Um, but in the mid-2000s, uh, he's... He's working on The Last Airbender and he gets this call from this woman who claims to be from a Lucas Animation and Dave Filoni like, there's no Lucas Animation. And she's like, we want you to make a, a, a Clone Wars cartoon. And Dave Filoni's like, didn't you guys already do that? Which they had in like 2002, 2003. And she's like, yeah, but George Lewis wants to make a new one and he wants to meet you. And Dave Filoni's thinking, like, okay, this is some sort of prank. The Spongebob Squarepants guys down the hall are trying to pull a fast one on him. And, you know, so he's kind of being flippant to her. And she's just like, I don't understand. Like, you know, and and he's like, pardon me. He's like, okay, I got to ask you, like, who put you up to this? And she goes, I don't understand. Like, is this not Dave Filoni? And he goes, yeah. And she's like, well, I don't get it. Like, it says here you're the guy I should be calling. And that's when Dave Filoni, like, finally realizes, like, fuck, this is not a prank. This is for real. And he's like, oh, I'm the guy. Like, oh, for sure I'm the guy. And so he's they set up the meeting for him to go down to Skywalker Ranch and meet George Lucas, his idol. And Dave Filoni is just like, okay, I'm not going to get the job, but I'm just going to get to meet George Lucas and that's enough. So he goes down there, hands George Lucas his uh, portfolio of drawings and stuff, and George Lucas is looking at it. And Dave Filoni's like, yeah, "I'm gonna impress George Lucas, you know? Yeah, right." So Lucas is looking through it, and then he he closes it, and he starts talking to Dave Filoni about you know how the Force works and like the intergalactic politics of Star Wars and shit. And Dave Filoni is just like, "Yeah, like I, I kind of picked up on all this from the movies and stuff." And so, okay, you know, that's it. Lucas shakes his hand, goodbye, whatever. And Dave Filoni just walks out of the office, out of Skywalker Ranch, just relieved. Like, okay, like, you know, I, I got to meet George Lucas, I got to go to Skywalker Ranch, I can die happy man. But then he gets the call that he's hired. They want to make the Clone Wars cartoon. So that's the kind of person you have doing The Mandalorian. A guy who understands... Star Wars and the Mandalorian isn't like perfect but at least it's from people wondering. and you also have uh, John Favreau the guy that did Iron Man and they also take an in input from George Lucas and uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps rambling at this point but I just want to say if the picture I've painted is one where George Lucas spent his entire career consolidating power okay cutting out the fine you know controlling the financing controlling final edit getting rid of all the, the people who would ever tell him no and then he goes ahead and sells the whole thing to another company, to where he has no control. And I think there's a happy medium there. George Lucas shouldn't be the fucking emperor, where every time he shits himself, everyone just like laughs and tells him how great he is. But he also shouldn't be ignored. Because at the end of the day, we wouldn't have any of this stuff if it wasn't for him. Uh, so I think what the Mandalorian is doing is right. is having other people write it, other people direct it, and then it's having Lucas... On, dropping by on set, giving his opinion, giving his ideas, throwing stuff out there. I think that's the absolutely perfect way to do it. Call him a creative consultant, whatever you want to do. As a poor, as opposed to Disney, where they threw away his treatments, they actually brought him back for Episode Nine, try to help them fix the train wreck they got themselves into. He helped as a favorite to Jada Abrams. Lucas helps him write. Uh, doesn't get any credit. Helps him write Skywalker, or Rise of Skywalker. They throw out all his ideas again. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the movie fucking bombs and Lucas's legacy is like fucking dog shit. So anyway, there's these two factions in uh, Lucasfilm. There's the Mandalorian faction, the Dave Filoni, John Favreau, George Lucas faction. Then There's the other faction, which is the Kathleen Kennedy faction. And her contract is supposed to be up this year, but the CEO of Disney has recently said that she isn't going anywhere. Um I think she probably gets overblamed for things, but I think it would also be nice to see perhaps some new vision in there. Perhaps someone who is more in line. You know, I want someone who grew up reading this shit. You know, I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. But when you watch the Marvel movies, the reason why they're so fucking good is the guy at the top, whose name actually fucking escapes me right now. Um, but the guy that makes the the head guy of all those Marvel movies, the guy like when he's taking a shit, he's probably thinking of who would win in a fight, Red Hulk or Gray Hulk. Like, that's the kind of, you want a nerd. You want someone who understands source material. Kathleen Kennedy, she's a suit. Like, she should not have been put in that position. So anyway, uh, that's uh, that's George Lucas, A Life by Brian J. Jones, plus uh, Dan Hansen's Star Wars rant. Uh, you know, with The Mandalorian, uh, I'm really excited to see where they take it. Um, I hope that side wins, and I hope we get to see more stuff like that. It's not perfect, but, you know, I'll take it. So, all right. Thank you very much for listening, and have a great day. Bye-bye.